to Locked on Marlins, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Arm Layton, and the Marlins just swept the doubleheader over the Mets yesterday. That was not expected. I thought they would maybe split it, which would have been nice. They sweep it, and that's huge with the deadline coming up now to really reinforce this team to be buyers. I talked about in the last podcast episode how I want them to be more thrift shop buyers and really spend wisely because you don't want to mortgage the future. But I do have some pretty good candidates on who I think the Marlins should acquire. So if you want to hear about that, go take a look at the previous episode from yesterday. As for today, really excited because I'm going to be talking about Trevor Rogers' debut and even more exciting, you're going to hear part one of the interview with Marlins second round pick Kyle Nicholas. Kyle Nicholas is a flamethrowing right-hander from Ball State. If you enjoyed the Zach McCandley interview a few weeks ago, I'm sure you will really like this one. Really cool kid, really fun to talk to, and a lot of knowledge on the game of baseball. And you can just tell he's working really hard to refine his craft, and you can only get excited about what he's capable of with that upper 90s fastball and multiple plus off-speed pitches. He is going to be a force to be reckoned with once he gets a chance to make his pro debut for the Marlins, which when you listen, you'll see he is very excited to do that whenever the time may come. But speaking of debuts at the major league level, let's talk about Trevor Rogers. Rogers was overall impressive in his debut. I will say that we went into it not really knowing totally what to expect. At least I was not sure what to expect. I'd seen him throw. The numbers are somewhat limited in his career just because of some injuries. And then last year was really his first full season where he was great in A ball in high A, excuse me, but then struggled a little bit across just a handful of starts in double A. Definitely was planning on seeing more from him this season in the minor leagues. Obvious reasons that doesn't get to happen this year. And the Marlins decide to be a little bit aggressive and call him up. He's obviously been throwing quite a bit in the Jupiter camp and must have shown very well to get the opportunity to throw. And you could see why the Marlins decided to give him a chance this early. Four innings, only gives up one hit. He punches out six, and the only drawback in that outing was the five walks, but I'll be getting into that because command has not really been an issue for him historically. It seemed like a little bit of jitters and a little bit of just trying to be too perfect out there on the mound, especially against left-handed hitters who he was trying to pitch more away from. Despite the walks, I was very encouraged by his willingness to attack with the fastball. Historically, his splits in the minor leagues are pretty consistent even maybe favoring right-handers a little bit where he's a little bit more effective against right-handers. That's surprising because in this ball game, the Mets left-handers looked much more uncomfortable than the right-handed hitters. He was very much going off of that fastball to a degree that I was not even expecting. I knew the fastball was his best pitch. That's of course been the scouting report on him, but he went to the fastball 65% of the time. And for reference, there's not really any left-handed pitcher in the major leagues that as a starter that goes to the fastball that frequently, that's around Josh Hader range of how much he's throwing his fastball. I talked about this on Locked On MLB Prospects with Tarek Skubal, who is one of the 
highest regarded prospects in the Tiger system, but I'm a little bit concerned on his ability to be a starting pitcher because he throws the fastball just about at the same amount. For him, he's been struggling to miss bats at the major league level, despite the fact that in double A, he struck out almost 18 batters per nine innings. Like that's an actual stat. He struck out about 83, 84 in 41 innings, roughly in double A last year. So that's a little bit of a concern for me with Rodgers. I know no two pitchers are the same, but it's tough to beat a fastball like Tarek Skubal's where he was able to punch out that many batters in double A with predominantly throwing the fastball around 70% of the time. Rodgers was way more efficient and way more effective than Skubal has been in his major league debut and the subsequent starts after. Rodgers already put together a better start than Skubal has, so that that's definitely encouraging. He already has better command than Skubal too, despite the five walks. Overall, better command. But the fact that he throws the fastball 65% of the time in this ballgame was a little bit concerning if that's what it's going to be moving forward. I understand why he threw the fastball that much because the slider really isn't there yet. And that's another reason why I'm a little bit concerned about his ability to be a major league starter at this point. He didn't get a single swing and miss on the slider, which he threw 20% of the time in that ball game. He actually got more swings and misses on the changeup, which he only threw eight times in the entire ball game. But he was able to get two swings through that one. And he was comfortable throwing that changeup against the right-handers. He didn't throw it once against any left-handed hitters. The left-handers, they really struggled with that fastball. And he still threw the fastball the same amount of time to right-handers and left-handers, which was right about the mid-60s range. The difference was the secondary pitches that he would go to. With the left-handed hitters, he would go fastball slider. And he only threw the sinker three times, which was pretty much just the fastball with a slightly different action and actually a little bit harder. For the most part, though, it was fastball slider. With the right-handed hitters, he didn't really touch the slider at all. He threw it only twice in the entire ball game to right-handed hitters, but went fastball changeup heavy, throwing the changeup just over 20% of the time to right-handed hitters. So that makes sense, right? That's typically what you would expect from a left-hander to go more with the sweeping slider to the left-handed hitters and more with the changeup to the right-handed hitters. I was much more impressed with the changeup and the occasional hard sinker that he would throw than I was with the slider. But I would say I came away most impressed by the fastball. The fastball that really looks like a back end of the bullpen type of fastball that you see from a tall lefty like an Andrew Miller Brad Hand, or even a Josh Hader. And the spin rates match up with it too. His four-seam spin rates are off the charts, 2,500 over with the spin rate on his fastball, while the average in the major leagues is roughly 2,250. And that's for usually right-handers. So a left-hander to have a 2,500 spin rate on the fastball is pretty encouraging when it's also a 95-mile-per-hour pitch. If you look at a chart, I'm going to be writing an article on this to complement this podcast to kind of get an idea on fishstripes.com, but there's a chart that Driveline will give you, and you can pull it up online. There's basically a direct correlation between spin rate, of course, and swings and misses, and then velocity and swings and misses. But when you get a marriage of the two, right, a high spin rate and a high velocity, you start to get some ridiculous off-the-chart spin or swing and miss numbers which is right where Trevor Rogers is starting to encroach. If you get to about 
95 to 96 miles per hour and your spin rate's right above 2,500 to the 2,600 range, you're getting into the red zone, which is anything over 10% of a swing and miss rate is red, meaning that it's in the top 5 to 10% of the league. That's where Rodgers would be with those figures. That being said, the slider is lagging behind a pretty good deal when it comes to spin rate and spin efficiency, well behind right around the 1900 range for the slider, which average would be right around 22 to 2300 as well. That's something that, you know, you're not too surprised with after seeing me outing. The slider is maybe a good third pitch right now. The changeup is ahead of it. But with the fastball being that good to left-handed hitters as he locates it and continues to use the upper tier of the zone, you remember I talked about that with Sixto Sanchez about how he really can't be effective elevating the fastball at this point in his career due to the way it moves and his location issues. With Rodgers, that high spin rate, he has a huge success elevating the fastball and getting guys to swing through it. And that's why he elevated it a ton in that last outing, especially to left-handed hitters, where you saw Conforto swinging at pitches that were, you know, at the letters. And that's going to be something that's always going to be effective for him. The problem with Rodgers, or at least the concern that is keeping him from being anything but a back-of-the-rotation guy that will occasionally just twirl you a gem and you start thinking that he could be a front-end type of pitcher because of the way that fastball will probably work sometimes and other times maybe not be as effective, is the slider. It really needs to keep up, and the changeup needs to be a pitch he's more comfortable throwing more frequently. He did throw a few really good changeups in that ball game, getting a few swings and misses on it, but only getting one swing and miss on the slider is not going to cut it. And I'm not even sure if it was one. I'm trying to think back and remember, but on Baseball Savant, it says he doesn't get a single whiff on the slider, though it also says he got a strikeout with it. So I'm not really sure what that means. Regardless, one or zero, it needs to be better than that with the frequency that he's throwing it. That's supposed to be his number two pitch right there. If he is going to be a reliever, then you have an entirely different situation. He can get away with throwing the fastball 65% of the time. I don't know if the Marlins want him to be a reliever. He looks like he could be a starter, right? He just needs to refine those secondary pitches a little bit and either get that changeup to be a plus pitch or that slider to be a plus pitch. But one of them needs to improve because right now they're both roughly average at best. And that's just not going to be enough for him. I'm not going to be able to bet on a fastball that he throws 65% of the time being what he's able to do to be successful. There's just nobody that really does that in the major leagues besides Lance Lynn, who throws like eight different fastballs. So it's different. I was very encouraged by the quality of his fastball because now we have figured out that he is going to bring value no matter what. He is a major league pitcher and he could be at worst a very good high leverage bullpen arm in the back of the in the back of the pen. He could really be at worst a very good high leverage arm. Remember Brad Hand, remember Andrew Miller, those guys were starters that just couldn't quite get the consistency with the secondary stuff and were lights out in the bullpen. I'm not relegating Rodgers to the bullpen right now, but what I'm saying is it's very important to to know that this is a win from what we saw from him because remember Justin Nicolino, you saw that guy and you're like, "Okay, He's not quite as good as we thought he would be, but maybe he can learn to just locate and be an effective pitcher. 
but being the type of pitcher that he was, there was no really backup plan. You couldn't really say, oh, but he'll be good in the bullpen. It was kind of starter or bust with the way he was. Not an overly tall guy, not overpowering, nothing that was jump off the charts impressive besides just a pretty good bender. And with now Trevor Rogers, it's much different because you have a guy that has the tools to be a back-end bullpen at the worst, a back-end bullpen arm. But I think he's still got plenty of time to figure it out as a starter. Overall, just need to see a little bit more. Maybe this start was an outlier. Maybe he's going to show a better feel for the slider in his next outing. And that's something that we'll have to wait and see. But as of now, little bit too much reliance on a fastball that was surprisingly good. So that is the positive. But I do not like the over-reliance on it. I was pleasantly surprised by the changeup. I think that could be his second best pitch. And the fastball could be enough to get left-handers out. It's more about having that second pitch for right-handers. The changeup could be the pitch that keeps right-handers off balance and keeps him really in the starting rotation. We'll see if the slider can come along too. And whether that sinker will be in the mix as well. Very excited to see his next start. And those are some things that we can keep our eyes peeled for because he's very intriguing. Can't say that he did not surprise me in a good way. Just need to see more from him. And unfortunately, that's a cop-out. But those are the things that hopefully you will enjoy looking out for in his next start. Keep a look out for the written article I'm going to have that's going to be summing up my thoughts on Sixto Sanchez's debut as well as Rogers. That'll be out on fishstripes.com shortly. Now to the interview with Kyle Nicholas. You're really going to enjoy this one, part one here, and then part two will be out tomorrow. And I'm joined by Marlon's second round pick, Kyle Nicholas. Kyle, you were drafted right after this whole crazy situation. And we didn't even know when the draft was going to be initially. You finally find out what it is. Then you got to deal with all the nerves of just what's going on with where you're going to get selected. First and foremost, congratulations on getting drafted. Second, how are you doing right now? And thanks for being on the show. And third, what was that day like? Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and, you know, it, it was very strange, you know, everything leading up from college season being canceled to, you know, coming home and uh, just trying to stay active as much as I could uh, before the draft, hoping um, that I'd hear my name called that day. And, uh, just going through the process with all the Zoom meetings with different teams and, and stuff like that was definitely a little unconventional um, rather than meeting in person. Uh, but but a cool cool experience nonetheless. Um, and then, I mean, that day, uh, it, was, it was pretty nerve-wracking to say the least. <laughs> uh, right at the beginning, um, my good friend Dylan Dingler, he went with the first pick um, in that second round. So, it was off to a good start uh, that second day, and then um, you know going down, going down the board, just watching the draft. A lot of a lot of pitchers going, a lot of right right-handed arms going. So um, you know I was getting a little antsy, antsy there for a second. But uh, once the the Marlins took me, um, I mean I was ecstatic, and I was surrounded by my family and um, the people that I love, and you know I, I wouldn't want it any other way. And that's the thing I think a lot of people don't really understand about how stressful this draft was because when it's cut down to five rounds, a draft is stressful in general. But now you're, you start overthinking, right? I'm sure you had people telling you that you're going to be selected in the first couple rounds, but you can't help but have your mind race. And there's always just guys that end up falling. You're like, what if that's me? 
what was the change when you found out it was going to be five rounds? I mean, you knew you had a good shot at going inside of those five rounds, but once that came out, was that something that a lot of people around you, like other of your teammates or people that you know, like Dylan Dingler, did everybody kind of just have an oh crap moment when they saw that it's only going to be five rounds and you're just so limited pick wise? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that was kind of the case, um, especially for me, you know, we had, I had some teammates at Ball State that were likely going to go, you know, in those later, like after the fifth round. And so once that got cut short, you know, that was kind of unfortunate for, for some of them. And then some of the guys in the Cape, you know, that definitely would have been, would have been picked up at some point. And I mean, you look, you look in the, the major leagues and see how many guys that <clears throat> were taken after the fifth round that, that have had really successful careers. And, um, you know, it just it just kind of sucks. But um, for me personally, I was I was fortunate enough to to not worry about that too much. But definitely, there was that thought on draft day where, you know, what if what if it's me that slips? What if I slip out um, of the of the entire draft? So uh, definitely, there's a lot of nerves. So I want to talk about how you became you know this prize target to be a second round pick in this year's draft. You talk about how many right-handers and just college pitchers went off the board, but still you were, you know, more in the first third or first quarter of those right-handed pitchers to be selected. And that was largely due to a really good summer in the Cape and then a really great start to your junior year. But I want to get into that. But first I want to kind of go into what went into leading up to that, right? Because you didn't always pitch early in your baseball career, like around middle school and then going into high school, when did you really decide to just get on the mound? And what was the reason for, did someone push you to, to start pitching? Was it because of a growth spurt or did you realize you have a good arm? Like what, what got you onto the mound and away from, you know, doing other things? Cause you were a multi-sport athlete in high school all the way through, but what ended up making baseball your focus and specifically pitching? Yeah, I think, um, it was around sophomore year when I really started taking baseball and well, I guess pitching specifically uh, seriously. Um, I think pitching is what, is what kind of, you know, found my, I don't know. I I really love pitching just because I had the ball in my hand on every single play, you know, baseball is a little slow for me because I'm, you know, like the action I played basketball and you know there's stuff going on all the time um and when you're pitching you know you're you're in control of the game the the game can't go without you so that's kind of something i liked about pitching um early on and then you know once i got stronger got bigger got older um was able to throw it harder and and start um you know perfecting my craft a little bit um so yeah i'd say it was probably early in high school and then kind of just took off from there um, was fortunate with some growth spurts and and then just getting after it in the weight room and um, with my pitching coaches at at school and and in the summers um, you know that's that's the reason that I'm here today. You mentioned the growth spurt as I'd read the Baseball America article that was just written on you I believe yesterday um, which was an awesome piece to definitely check it out if you're listening right now and want something to read after on Kyle but it mentioned that you grew from 5'10 to 6'2, I believe, from between sophomore and junior year. And that's a lot. That's, you know, that's, that's a big change. And as a pitcher, that's going to help you, of course, on the mound. But it's also, it creates a, a lot more of an issue with 
maybe repeating your mechanics, right? You always hear about how taller guys struggle with, with repeating mechanics sometimes. Did that growth spurt create any of that problem for you? Or was it mostly just an advantage in terms of being able to just have a downhill plane and, and get some more velocity on the fastball? Yeah, there was, there was definitely a little both there. You know, obviously a little velocity jump. Um, but no, you're right. Uh, you know, I kind of, when I got that growth spurt, I like didn't know what to do with my body. Like uh, <laughs> it was evident in basketball. Like I was mainly the point guard. And then I was like, got slower even though I was like still still skinny and like my ball handling went bad so uh it was it was weird um just kind of trying to readjust to being a tall kid now rather than being shorter um and then you know obviously that's that relates to pitching too um as you said repeating mechanics is one of the most important things and um it it was tough for a little um I kind of um I'd say that June, my junior summer uh, of high school is when I really um, found mechanics that I liked and that I felt really comfortable with and, and just worked on that with my dad a lot. Um, and that, that probably helped me the most um, from in high school. You mentioned basketball a lot. It seemed like that was probably what your next passion along with baseball. And same thing with Dylan Dingler, who, as you mentioned, was one of the first guys off the board in the second round. He was also a state champion with you on the basketball court. How has it been watching you go, you two together now, just going through the whole process, right? Going to Division One baseball, going to now professional baseball, and being drafted in the second round together. It seems like you guys have been achieving great things at the same time all the way through, and hopefully it'll keep going. But what's it been like having a friend along the way? Yeah, it's definitely been awesome, you know. Um, whenever he's home and we're home at the same time, we always get together. And um, so it's really good. And it's fun to, you know, talk about these experiences that we've had together and kind of see a different perspective, I guess. Um, But basically it's the same. And uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm super proud of him and pumped for him. And um, he's up on the, at the alternate site for the Tigers right now. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just super pumped for him. And now going into your college career, you ultimately decide to commit to Ball State. That was a process where, again, in the Baseball America article, you were sold on on the fact that the coach liked your aspirations, that you wanted to be drafted in three years. You were thinking pro ball, you know, before you even got on a college campus because you had high expectations for yourself, right? What ultimately led you to decide to go to Ball State? Because it's interesting – People may not be as familiar with Ball State as a, as a school or as a baseball program, but it, it it pumps out a lot of really quality pitchers throughout the years, and it's become almost a place that you can count on to pump out a, a top end arm almost every single year. Yeah, exactly what you said. You know, that was kind of the selling point uh, when it came down to it. You know, obviously, I wanted to be in a winning program and and a, a program that's going to compete for a championship every year. And, um, you know, Ball State offered that. And then, you know, as a bonus, um, a coach that has experience with with pitchers getting drafted. And, you know, that's that's very appealing, especially when that's, that's your goal after three years. Um, so, you know, it just, it just felt like a really good fit. Um, coaching staff was awesome. And, um, you know, when I visited there, the, the guys on the team were cool. And, 
Um, you know, it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. Then you, you know, get playing time right away. You were going into the rotation, sometimes in the bullpen, and just continuing to work on everything that you were talking about, like your, your craft and refining the secondary pitches. Mm-hmm. And you continue to get better as your college career goes on. Things seemed like they really clicked for you in the Cape, right? You really just turned it on to another level from what I saw in the second half where it just seemed like you were attacking the strike zone. Guys just could not keep up with the fastball. They were chasing the slider way out of the zone. You just had guys totally uncomfortable. Something just, it really seemed like clicked for you midsummer. That was just my observation. But what would you say? Did, did you feel that? Or was that just something that I saw from the outside? Did something click for you in the Cape, just working with different coaches also? You know, you get more opinions. You get to work out with other teammates that are, you know, some of the best pitchers in the country as well as Zach McCambly, which we'll get to, you know, ends up being drafted the next round to the Marlins. And he's in the same bullpen as you on a daily basis. Did something click for you in the Cape or did you just start to settle in? Uh, what, what really helped you there to get that hot start and then lead that into an incredible four starts your junior year before the draft? Yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, I, I would agree with you. Something clicked about halfway through. Um, and it was kind of just, just over time. I went into that summer with things to work on um, from Ball State. You know, my, my pitching coach that was there, uh, we went over some things, just um, just little, like, mechanical um, adjustments um, that I that he had me doing some drills, like, pregame. And um, so I did that stuff every day. And then, you know, when you're out on the mound, you can't really think about it too much. So I kind of just let it, you know, take its time. And, and you know, I'd say about midseason, it, it kind of just started to translate onto the mound. And I was able to, to attack the zone more. And and have more control um, over all my pitches. So um, I, I definitely think it's that was um, a turning point and in, in honestly my in my career. And um, you know, another thing was the mindset that I went into it with. You know, I, I was always trying to be, you know, too perfect and um, on the mound and and trying to hit too trying to like, you know, hit spots too much where um, I kind of just became more relaxed on the mound and you know wasn't trying to be too perfect and um you know that really helped out a lot so I'd say just those two things and then um getting back to school and and working the whole fall um with with the stuff that I got from the summer and and continuing to learn from our new pitching coach that we had this past year um you know things really really clicked there and um you know I was able to put together a, a good start that I wish the season would have kept going, um, but ultimately I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. Yeah, you continue to really keep the ball rolling into those four starts this year, and it would have been a blast to see what kind of numbers you could have racked up because your final start of the season, you rack up 17 strikeouts in seven innings against Sacred Heart, which, I mean, even in Little League, you mentioned you didn't really pitch in, as much until later in your career, but in high school even – did you ever have an outing that ridiculous? 17 strikeouts. You only gave up one hit. You walked one batter. So you barely anybody got on base, and you punched out almost every single out you could have. You almost did it yourself. You talk about the pitcher being the center of the game. You almost didn't even need a defense behind you. How did, how did you just explode in that last outing? And have you ever done anything like that before? Um, no, I th- I'd, I'd say that was definitely the best start I've had, um, you know, strikeouts-wise. Um, 
you know, I, I was just really comfortable on the mound and, and that was kind of just building from the first start of the season. I, you know, I felt more comfortable every time I was going out. Um, and then it, it just kind of clicked in that last one. And, um, you know, the confidence was there. I was comfortable and, um, you know, I just trusted my stuff and trust my teammates, um, my catcher, my, and my coaches. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that was, that was something I'd never done before. Yeah. I don't think very many people have done that in college. I don't have the numbers behind it, but I'm sure it's been a while since somebody's racked up 17 K's not named Kumar rocker. Uh, <laughs> the, the one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about too, is you mentioned how things clicked, but could you get into specifics sort of about what you felt mechanics wise? Was it, was it a mechanical thing? Was it just, you mentioned not trying to do too much. Was it just that simple or was it, you know, what pitches you're throwing and what counts? What was the, the thing that really clicked for you? Was it mechanical or was it more mental or pitch usage? Um, I'd say it was a little, little of both mental and mechanical. Um, I think mental, mental wise, you know, I was just, I think I was just trying to overthrow, you know, my first two years trying to throw really hard and throw that really hard slider. Um, but where I figured out if I, you know, just, just kept everything un under control, it was going to come out just as hard and um, even sharper sometimes. So, um, you know, just kind of, kind of took a step back that way. And then mechanically, um, the, the biggest thing for me was my arm path. Uh, my first two years, I kind of had a, a pretty long arm, um, you know, in the backswing. And then that just messed up my timing. You know, I couldn't, like you, like we were talking about before the repeating uh, of those mechanics, that it was kind of tough. So um, that was a big thing I worked on in the summer in the cave was, was kind of shortening my arm path and, and keeping everything simple um, from where I break my hands to release. So that, that kind of was the biggest thing. Um, and, that's kind of something that clicked and I'm, I feel really comfortable with now. And that'll do it for part one of the interview with Kyle Nicholas. Part two will be out tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed that. I told you he is a really exciting prospect and somebody that you can already be eager to root for as you could just see the passion he has for the game and how excited he is to get on the field with the Marlins jersey across his chest. Looking forward to putting out part two for you tomorrow. Just hit 500 followers on the Locked On Marlins Twitter account, which is sounds like a small victory, but given that it just started at the beginning of the season with everything that's happened, really appreciate the support for you helping me get there. And feel free to tweet any of your questions at that account if you don't follow it yet. It's just at Locked On Marlins. Please, if you've got a second to leave a review on the podcast too, on Apple Podcasts or whatever you can possibly leave a review on, I would really appreciate the feedback there as well. Thank you for listening as always. The Marlins keep rolling and I'm excited to be able to deliver that to you. And let's talk some deadline and let's talk some Marlins as we get down the stretch here. Second half of the season is on the way and the Marlins are in a really good spot.